Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Dashida Dawson, and she is the weed head. She is a global cannabis advocate. She's also a business strategist helping cannabis companies. Her company is The Weed Head and Company. We're going to talk a little bit about the work that she does. We're going to talk about the industry. We're going to talk about medical marijuana. We're going to talk about recreational use, adult use, uh, about what is happening in the States and what she has seen in terms of the development of the industry. Some really interesting ideas here, and I'm excited for the conversation. With that, Dashita, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So before we jump into medical and adult use at the state level, let's get to know you a little bit first. Tell us about your background. How did you get into cannabis? How did you become the weed head? What is, what's the story that takes us from where you were before into what you're doing today? Yeah. So I'll try to give a brief version. <laughs> Sometimes the longer I'm in the industry, it gets longer, obviously. Right? Yeah, I know. The industry has so many ups and downs. So yeah. I'm now going into four years now is a uh, full-time uh, cannabis advocate and business strategist. And I jokingly say 
I went from Target to THC because in my <laughs> former life, <laughs> I was a senior executive at Target, mm-hmm. um, followed by Victoria's Secret. I am a classically trained P&L manager, brand manager with an MBA from Rutgers. I did my undergraduate at Princeton, believe it or not, in molecular biology. So I'm also a scientist, Perfect. which yeah. is a very interesting combo because yeah. I work in fashion and beauty primarily. Mm-hmm. However, my story really for cannabis starts in around 2012 when my mom got, she got breast cancer and I was an executive at Target. Minnesota had not become a medical marijuana state. It is now, but it hadn't yet. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially she really uses it for all of her palliative care needs. Anything that she had prior to starting chemo got exacerbated. And now my mom was a lifelong consumer. I mean, even though she's a principal educator at home, this was something that was not uncommon, but we didn't really talk about it. And so uh, now I'm sort of straight and narrow, a student, Princeton graduate. I'm not really a user, but during that time, I just struggled with the way my body was responding to Minnesota's negative 25 degree weather. (laughs) (laughs) No, I grew up in Minnesota, so be careful here. Listen, I loved it. And actually yesterday I had a conversation with someone who was just like, "You, I can't believe you actually said you love Minnesota. I I loved my time at Target, loved my time in Minnesota. I lived in Woodbury. And I just, honestly, it was terrible. I was waking up like the tin woman and my mother was like, listen, you need to smoke with me. um, I, I I did. And I became a closeted, you know, corporate cannabis user that I like to dub. I did not come out the closet right away, but it was something where I knew um, almost within a couple of days of utilizing at night, I slept better. I woke up feeling better that it was something that I needed. And over time, it became a very big staple in our in our household. Um, And she was going through chemo and I was doing it. But I also at the same time struggled with the fact that I was embarrassed by it. It was not something I would ever divulge to anyone. Um, And then you fast forward about four years. Unexpectedly, my mom passed away after beating breast cancer. And now I'm like, you know, I'm just about to get a promotion, VP level in corporate America. And with her passing, I think it just a light bulb went in my head in terms of how much effort I had put into my corporate positions and not necessarily seeing the benefit back. I had driven, you know, nearly billions of dollars of Mm -hmm. uh, extra businesses and didn't see even 1% of that. So a different mindset. And I ran, I ran away, if you will, to Mm -hmm. Arizona, which was a medical marijuana state already. My aunt was already a medical marijuana patient and I was suffering from PTSD with my mom just passing severe autoimmune flare-ups from the stress of just that. And it did help me, but when I went to my first dispensary, I just thought it was going to be the best experience ever because I've been dealing with like, you know, the hood, the plug, and yeah. just what I you know, grew up with. You don't get to have conversation. Yeah. You don't get to ask what you're getting. And so I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have a million questions and I'm going to ask so much. And of course, like I said, I'm a molecular biologist. Yeah, so exactly. I came in very, very hopeful and optimistic and the experience was less than stellar. Yeah. And so being a senior executive at, um, for large retail, I just thought to myself, yeah, exactly. this plant is just getting a bad rap. And so there you go. I kind of then jumped into the industry, became a consultant doing what I did for companies like Target and Victoria's Secret for, this is mostly post-licensing companies and brands. They already are licensed to operate and, you know, building them from the ground up, doing management, consulting, anything that was needed, supply chain management, P&L, brand development, marketing, all of the things that, you know, you need to start a business. And fast forward today, I'm now um, an educator. I've written a workbook and I have my own products coming out and I've been able to transition from being a consultant to more focused on the weed head, <laughs> the weed head and company. And so it's it's been exciting, but it's really about education and empowerment for people like myself who are corporate to cannabis crossover professionals that want to show the new face of cannabis to yeah. the mainstream. I'm always curious with people 
that are coming out of, you know, kind of corporate America into the cannabis industry, what are what was kind of surprising? What was not surprising as you kind of got into the business side in terms of how things worked or didn't work or expectations that you had that, you know, were there or not there? Tell, tell me a little bit about that transition. That's a great question. It was a difficult transition, to say the least. Mm. I, I wrote a, a little article for I, a Interactive One um, or I1 Digital, and uh-huh. it was my confessions of a cannabis, uh, <laughs> corporate cannabis crossover. And part of it is, you know, you believe a lot of things. When you consume cannabis in the illegal market, especially Especially growing up in East New York, Brooklyn, like I have, yep. and knowing that there's severe consequences as a result of getting caught with it, yeah. sharing that moment with someone when you do do that has always felt like sacred in some ways and always felt like, you know, we really are family. They really know me because I won't share that all the time. And when you go to the West Coast and this is part of the culture and uh, people are trying to do business deals at the same time, I think you get a, a little bit of a misconception about that sharing the joint is like stealing the deal. Um, and there's a lot of people out there operating. <laughs> that way, yeah. right? And that's, but that's not, you know, a typical business fundamentals. It was a struggle to get people to sign contracts, understand mutual NDA, yeah. um, even to uphold the contracts that you do sign. I think sometimes people call it the wild, wild west. And it was even in Arizona, a much smaller market than California, which I was very strategic. I did Arizona and Nevada purposely stayed away from Cali because it was a lot bigger initially. And then I eventually transitioned there when I'd already developed a bit more of a report and name in the industry. But yeah, I think struggling just with business fundamentals. And then the last thing is that a lot of people reinvent themselves. So you could be one day parking cards and the next day, absolutely the CEO of a company. Yeah. And um, and that was a struggle because, you know, it, places like Target and Victoria's Secret, there's tenure and um, yeah. MBAs and, you know, and so yeah. it was a struggle because I'm navigating a lot of informality. I often joke and say that my Princeton and MBA sensibilities were needed just as much as my Brooklyn ones, because mm, I, I, like <laughs> I definitely had to act like, yo, I'm from the streets too, so don't play me, because yeah. that was very much the wild, wild west initially. I've never had to do that in any business dealing of a you know higher corporate level for any of the companies I've worked for. It's changing, and now that the East Coast is sort of turned on, I'm seeing that the East Coast is just more serious as business yeah. people, and yeah. so that's demanding a bit more formality, whereas the West Coast has always been. Cali's just a little more laid back, yeah. and you know we can't be about business structures and real, you know, money raise and, and, and deals. And you know, it just, it seems odd that people are so laid back about that. Yeah. Yeah. A little more cut and dry. No, no yes. pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so then tell me about the weed head. Like how did that, the, how did that brand come about? Like what was, uh, what was it like, or, or what was the, the intention, the motivation creating that, you know, that kind of thought leadership element and, and how, what are, what are the goals and uh, intentions around that? Sure. I came up with the weed head immediately as I came into the industry, primarily because I'm a digital expert and Mm -hmm. um, understanding sort of the SEO and how now GoDaddy and multiple other hosting sites are really pricing names. I was shocked that it was still available at $11.99. Really? You got it for $11.99? I absolutely did because that's where it was as far as the industry is concerned. Best investment I've ever made. And I do tell people that I am a digital real estate kind of like landlord. I 
have over a hundred. Wow. Uh, but okay. if you come up with a URL and you think it's going to have some power, then you definitely want to get it. But I bought it not thinking I was going to build on it. It was sort of like when you buy, you know, yeah. Park Place and Monopoly and yep. you don't build your <laughs> your houses or <laughs> hotels yet, you know. But within three months, someone was offering, you know, $1,100 for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's a ridiculous return on investment for an $11.99, $11.99 investment, right? So I knew right away that in three months in the cannabis industry is dog years, but in three <laughs> months that name became so sought after. And I still get multiple bids for it or people asking, but now mm-hmm. I've built on it. Around the same time, I, I had already gone to a few conferences and I started to see that there was a lack of visibility, um, especially among people of color, women yep. of color around the new face of cannabis. I'm a consumer. I have autoimmune issues. They don't know if it's MS. They don't know if it's lupus. But cannabis is the best medicine for me. And I'm not ashamed about that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to figure out as I was stepping out into the light how I could do so without being ashamed. And I just went back to sort of my brand marketing roots. I understood that everyone has a perceived notion of weed head already. Mm -hmm. And if I'm the exact opposite in my education level, my level of productivity, drive, you know, accountability, then I can turn uh, sort of the dime on that. I can rebrand just by being myself under this name. And so I've been that since 2016, Mm -hmm. the weed head, changing, you know, the brand identity around what that actually means. And in fact, I'm excited because I'm number three or number two when you search weed head at this point now. So really doing what I'm supposed to be doing on that side. And hopefully adding a different layer, you know, to what people think. And so that was the intention. And it was first to just also document what I was going through. People couldn't believe that I was you know, you went to Princeton to sell weed. And I'm like, no, I'm not selling weed, but look what, yeah. look exactly what yeah. I'm doing. And now it's transitioned to after writing the book and seeing such success initially with the first edition, now on the third edition of how to succeed in the cannabis industry. It's a workbook. I just felt like we need more people like myself to educate more of the community. I want the consumer base to be re-educated. That's the only way the market is going to work. And we'll talk about that, I think, in some of what we're going to discuss today. But yeah. so that's the purpose. It really is like I'm going into places and I see the businesses that are like kind of trying to educate themselves, but they don't have enough traffic because they don't really take the time to re-educate the consumer base. And so I think my background allows me to do exactly that. And that's what the Weed Head and Company is about, creating content that people can consume that will give them re-education regarding cannabis as medicine, social justice and advocacy opportunities. And then, of course, how you can get involved economically or build equity. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the workbook and who it's intended for, how, how you intend for them to use it. What is the outcome that you're looking for by providing, kind of providing this or, or you know, helping people? What what are the goals for um, for the people that you want to target? Sure. I got a lot of questions when I first started tracking my time in the cannabis industry through the weedhead.com. And it really was just a fundamental, like, okay, there's a need for people to understand how to navigate the path of crossing over their skills. First of all, by the way, I play basketball, so I use a lot of basketball <laughs> That's good. I like it. Yeah. So crossing over their skills into the industry. And I have a mean crossover, so I, I think I know how to do it well. But yeah. I basically wrote the book as cheat codes. If you are a professional or an entrepreneur right now with credentials in whatever you've sort of been skilled at, whatever you've been doing, like what I was doing, I was MBA, I've been doing brand building, business management. How do you cross over without getting into the different potholes or yeah. sort of issues that people have gotten into, myself included? So I took all the learning that I got initially and created, uh, you know, a guide. And I call it the picks and shovel strategy because I really think it's, you know, 
know, similar, this green rush to the gold rush. And I kind of feel like I focus on how people can get involved on the ancillary side. Not everybody's going to be able to touch a plant. In fact, the more that Arkansas gets further along in their marijuana efforts, the closer Walmart gets to cultivating themselves. And we're going to have a Walmart weed. So it's sort of how do we take advantage of the groundswell that the overall industry can create for other types of professional avenues? And so that's what the book is for. It's written at a fourth grade reading level on purpose because I do feel a lot of people forget that that's actually the reading level in which America currently is. And it's meant to be simple, but it is a workbook. So I have over 95 self-assessment questions in the workbook as I go through the entire industry from the rooter to the tutor, like every sector and in Mm -hmm. places that people haven't thought of in identifying sort of that white space. I want more people to get into the industry, but it seems so difficult when you just think about it as a cultivating dispensing and the you know, ridiculous sort of licensing process with that. And this is sort of that, okay, here's the way you could do it if you want to put the work in. Yeah. Well, I love it because I think it hits on two really interesting and important facets of the industry. I mean, one is that not everyone's touching the plant, right? You don't need to be, you know, putting seeds in soil to have a business in the cannabis industry. There's so many ancillary product services that that go into this to actually make the industry work. And the other thing is just knowing how to, um, you know, how to pivot your skills. I mean, we need all sorts of capabilities and all sorts of experts in the cannabis industry and, and figuring out how how you can take what you're an expert in in whatever other industry you're currently working in and find uh, application of the cannabis is it's really it's really important I think it's I think it's a great great approach so let's talk a little bit about the markets you know so we've got this crazy situation where federally illegal states have legalized it uh, in different levels some states are going medical some states are adding adult use to that what are some of the things that you're seeing as states are kind of developing these economies and I, I it's kind of like we've got 50 separate economies across the country here, or at least 30 something, and depending on how you're looking at it, but these different economies. But what are you noticing about, I guess, how states are legalizing, how that's impacting the economies, uh, the cannabis economies in these states? What kind of trends, patterns are you noticing? I guess, what have you seen so far? Yeah, I think that <laughs> you uh, hit the nail on the head. It's like everything is so segmented. And it's, for someone like myself, who is just, a, I'm a problem solver, it reminds me of a Rubik's Cube where yeah. you're like, you <laughs> finally it. figure out one It's like side, a three dimensional right? one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But then like, you're like the whole other other sides are still a hot mess. Yeah. And so I feel like sometimes that's how I feel when I'm going into various markets. I'm excited about some things I'm seeing, but then I also feel that there just are some things that are still a hot mess. I'll also say, just going back to the last note that we talked about, yeah. there's a little bit of that legitimacy still missing even now. Yeah even though there are still so many states. And that's partly why I'm such a pusher of if you worked and you've done this before in a mainstream or regular quote unquote industry, please come and teach and be a thought leader here so that we can move faster. So that is a a definitely an overwhelming trend that we still have somewhat of the blind leading the blind when we come to (laughs) developing regulations, because you have the people who already own who are lobbying and they're coming in with a very specific set of uh, beliefs and most of those people who already own in like some of the older markets, Cali and Colorado, uh, Washington, they they don't really know a lot about business or about supply chain or optimization or just some of the things, consumer protections, compliance, I can go on. Yeah. And they push, you know, some agenda. And then you have the big companies that are coming in from the outside and they really only care about how quickly they can buy up the market and not as much about the patient or the consumer. And they're pushing another thing. So we're getting this push and pull of 
people who are not really credentialed to say what should be for the right thing, but they do believe in the plant. We're people who maybe have those credentials, but they only care about what's the money grab. And so that's a big trend. And it's impacting, I think, the success of markets because all the while this is still happening at the B2B level, business to legislative level, Mm -hmm. the consumer and community level has been left behind. And as a result, you're seeing some pretty negative feedback in the revenue. So, you know, people were really shocked to find that in 2018 after legalizing California's legal market actually went down. Yeah. And meanwhile, their uh, underground or legacy market is still increasing. And in fact, increased quite significantly because they regulated out of the market quite a few brands, brands that had already developed some level of loyalty. If the goal, and I have to say this all the time to legislators, but if the goal is for us to literally transition the consumer base from the illegal market to the legal market and you know tax that, regulate it, mm-hmm. provide consumer protection, we're not making that happen with some of the decisions decisions that we're making. So that's a that's a big kind of it doesn't matter what market I'm in, I'm seeing sort of this hole. I also think another hole is for the medical markets that have come online have been yeah. the health professionals, right? We're not bringing them into the mix and so if we don't have our trusted professionals saying, "Hey, this actually does help or it does do something." The consumer base again sort of fails to meet what the expectations are at that B to B or business to legislator kind of conversation. They're predicting all this revenue in New York. And yet they still struggle to figure out how to get their medical market to work. And it's partly because we we still are leaving the consumer at home confused and still kind of like, I'll just use my plug because I know this cat. I've been doing it for 20 years, but you know, we we have a relationship. Why would I change my behavior? It has to be very compelling. Well, it's interesting because I mean, they're they're somewhat related or they're at least they're they're intertwined in the sense of, you know, if, if we're really trying to uh, sort of legitimize the market, take what is now kind of this uh, black market activity and bringing it into a regulated, you know, consumer protection, all the, all the benefits of that. You know, th- there's there's a, you know, a set of dynamics that are, are making that and, and making that happen and preventing that from happening. And then there's this whole kind of medical side, which is kind of a different beast in terms of, you know, trying to integrate into kind of a healthcare, you know, medical care system, this new product that can be used, you know, as a mode of treatment. I mean, I, I guess, do you see these, I guess, how separate do you see these, these different markets? How intertwined do you see them? I mean, is there, is there kind of a right way, or at least as you've seen states kind of implement these different policies in different ways, ways that seem to work better and not work so good in terms of bringing these markets to fruition? That's a great question. I was just uh, in Atlantic City talking about this. I feel like we are stunting the growth of the medical markets because that's always sort of the way in. Almost every state has started with legalizing medical because we can at least convince the general public or the legislators that, hey, people who are sick deserve to get help, whatever it is. But, you know, it's mostly in the case that we're legalizing, whereas people who are really sick for some states or people are sick and we're going to give them some of what they need because we haven't actually done enough research or we don't really take into account the health professionals and what they may or may not know. Right. And try to close the gap. Um, So then the race becomes because it doesn't generate enough. Usually, for example, New York has the largest underground market in the world. So we believe Mm. over two billion dollars 
a year in sales. You can like order right now on an app (laughs) illegally in New York and get delivery. Uh, But meanwhile, there's only 90,000, just about 95,000 patients in the current medical marijuana program. Why? And that's because of the barriers that are created in setting up the program's regulatory structure. And then once we do that, we, we make it difficult to become a patient. And then we say, oh, it didn't work. So now we have to race towards getting adult use because that's where the money comes into play. I think the the challenge and the right way to do it is the reality is no matter when you use cannabis, whether you're choosing to do it on adult use or it's uh, been recommended by a physician because you have a very mm-hmm. specific ailment, there are health and wellness benefits. This is a wellness plant. Yeah. And the minute that we decide to like speak to that narrative, it will change the way we view it. I often look at cannabis period, specifically now CBD on the hemp side, because that is legal, like acai berry in the early 2000s, when everybody's like, oh my God, this is this like super fruit. It became like the thing that everyone put in like everything once we realized it was good for us. That's the journey currently cannabis is on, but we're fighting an internal battle because we spent almost a hundred years demonizing it. So there's a lot of difficulty for very smart people, doctors, scientists to overcome the demonization that happens when you're even in your training. I mean, I went to medical school. I dropped out because I didn't really love the pharma aspect of it. And it didn't feel like caring for people. Yeah, I was like, fine, let's do business. But uh, <laughs> but while there, you know, I learned about marijuana and we learned yeah. about cannabis, but we don't learn about the endocannabinoid system, which is the system inside our body that makes our own cannabinoids that look very much like THC. But we learn that if someone has the endocannabinoid system somehow impacted or involved, it means that they're using an illegal substance and we need to call social services. That's what we learn. Really? So it's not a science-based understanding for the health community. And I feel like that has been a real miss for all the markets. California had the longest running medical program and still most of the physicians there as I work in that market don't really understand the endocannabinoid system. Well, so why, and why, I mean, why is that? Is it just because we're not training them in medical school? Is there, I mean, what, it seems to be kind of the crux of the medical, of most medical programs is that if you don't have your physician population you know, at least educated, if not on board with this, it seems like your chances of success of having a, a good medical marijuana program on a state level is 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 not very great. <laughs> it, that, there you, that's, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think the complication becomes state versus federal. So uh, we've intertwined at all yeah. of our institutions. Um, let's take Rutgers. Yesterday I said, listen, New Jersey graduates 22,000 scientific graduates per year. Rutgers should be the university of cannabis. Real talk with the way yeah. we have uh, New Jersey set up right now. Yeah. It's a very, very broad medical program you can get in. It's uh, pretty accessible, but they're not willing to do that because while they may get state funding and they are the largest educator for the state, it could impact their federal funding. So until so they're, so they're of, worried about about having federal funds restricted if they start having cannabis integrated into their medical training programs. Absolutely. And not just medical, but any undergraduate, whether it's any any program, whether oh, it's business. business anyway. not, oh, interesting. Technically, and I only learned this recently, but technically the law puts that if you're trying to even teach someone how to do something that is with a 
schedule one, you know, drug. It's it, like it, it can cause impact to like grants and such. Of course, I don't think anyone's looking like that closely, but I think the impact of, again, um, you know, almost a hundred years of a certain amount of perspective on marijuana, even hemp confusion mm-hmm. around cannabis has made it difficult for the university leaders to really get past that. And so there's fear and that's just not a risk they're willing to take. The same way it's not a risk for Walmart to take right now, but they will mm-hmm. send out little, you know, people groups, strategic yeah. consulting groups to do yeah. the work and, you know, educate them so that they're ready when it does become federally legal. I would say educational institutions don't even have that type of ability or funding to just say, oh, we're going to put a task force on yeah, it a you know, early. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a catch-22, but I think we have to push at the state level to say, hey, if we know that this is going to impact our revenue at the state level, then we have to hold hands and, and say, we're going to push for our state universities to have money set aside for task force. Maybe it's included in the way we develop the the regulatory structure of what the tax revenue is actually used for. To date, that hasn't been done well either. Um, And Colorado literally is sitting on some tax revenue that's like uh, uh, unallocated. It it doesn't have a place. And in Oregon, that recently was the case. And they just formed a group uh, that has identified diversity businesses so that they could spread the equity. But we didn't really, you don't see really too many plans that are well thought out on terms of what happens with the tax revenue other than it going into a general fund. Yeah. Have you seen any uh, states kind of tackle the education of existing physicians? I mean, I, you, we've got, you know, uh, you know, a large base of trained practicing physicians that now are in a position to, uh, you know, be a part of this process, part of part of the medical marijuana process inside of a state. What do you see states doing or do you see them doing anything effective in terms of being able to uh, outreach, uh, educate, uh, kind of promote uh, cannabis within the uh, physician world inside the state? I think uh, Pennsylvania is doing probably the best job and it is poised to be one of, if not the largest medical marijuana state. A lot of people don't know it did legalize for medical marijuana and there are major institutions, Thomas Jefferson University, Drexel, they're all kind of holding hands to say, we know that this is important and working with state officials to try to figure out the best ways to start integrating it and launching various programs. I think they're definitely leaders in the country and in some states like Florida, which is also a very large uh, medical marijuana program um, for the country, they're utilizing the the fact that the U.S. Farm Bill has legalized hemp. And they know at least enough to know that hemp and marijuana are part of the same scientific uh, genus. uh, They're all cannabis. And there's a lot that we can learn scientifically and teach without touching marijuana, to be perfectly honest. And so they've implemented more on the agricultural side, as far as agricultural science, and um, focusing that on hemp. I think New Jersey has exactly that same capability. And there are a few states just because of the universities that are you know, involved there. I point to New Jersey because 14 of the top 20 pharmaceutical companies yeah, in exactly. the world are yeah. based here. I call it farm country with PH. <laughs> I just feel like we should be doing, you know, I'm Brooklyn born Jersey educator, so I kind of feel like yeah. we should be doing a bit more. So, but those are the two states to me that since passing their medical marijuana bills have really led the way. Even in Florida, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, which is the organization that I am a part of. That's where I do my advocacy work. I'm the chief strategy officer there. We were able to get put into the the regulatory structure that for every medical marijuana patient that signs up and gets a card um, and pays for it, I think it's $50, $5 of it goes to FAMU for agricultural research surrounding hemp. So there's some unique things that are happening, but believe it or 
or not it's more not top down from the state it's ground grass level grassroots minorities for medical marijuana minority cannabis business association organizations like normal cannabis cultural association students for sensible drug policy dpa they're all all of us working in coalition in our various states trying to work from the ground up to push unique and innovative programming that the state can take advantage of legally. And what and what's your take on then the adult use side of this? I mean, do, do you think that we should just focus on medical for a while? Do you think, you know, getting this adult use kind of uh, skew the the market? I mean, I guess give me your take on on how that side of it's playing out. I think adult use is important too. I feel like I stopped calling it recreational and started calling it adult use when I had an epiphany that it's like when you get an ibuprofen 800 yeah. milligram that you get a prescription for versus going in and buying the 200 milligrams of Advil. Now in that bottle, I could still get 800 milligrams yeah. if I take four, but I have the right as an adult to use it, you know, mm-hmm. when I want at my discretion without a prescription. Yeah. I think that's how cannabis should be treated. I think there is a lot of data showing out of Colorado and California that this is a replacement for alcohol, which we found to have a lot more debilitating mm-hmm. um, issues on the body. So it's a replacement for uh, nicotine and cigarettes as well. So we think it, from a public health perspective, it's definitely moving the needle in the way of better. And I think that that needs to be pushed more and people should, as an adult, have that right to use it however they want to, if we know that it's actually better for us than some of the other adult use things we already have on the market, right? Yeah. And so I believe in adult use and I'm a proponent of it. I'm just not a proponent of it in lieu of a medical program or not supporting, you know, not telling the wellness factor of the plant in the story behind adult use. Sometimes you get into markets and no disrespect to any of the brands I'm about to talk about because I've smoked them and I think mm-hmm. they're great. Like, But, you know, whether it's Cheech and Chong, Wiz Khalifa, Snoop Dogg, yeah. even Whoopi and Maya, like we get lost in the celebrity and yeah. the some of the stereotypes, whether it's hippie or hip hop. And we're still forgetting that this isn't about a spliff or a blunt or a joint. In some ways, it truly is about creating balance yeah. um, and homeostasis in our endocannabinoid system, whether it's through an infused drink that you want to do after work the same mm-hmm. way you would do a beer. It's a better alternative for you yep. or because you just walked a mile and you now have some inflammation in your feet and you know that that's going to help resolve it too. So I just, I think we can tell the story uh, more holistically and it will be more successful even on the adult use side because if someone knows something is good for them and they have the ability to buy it 21 and over, why wouldn't they try it? You know, but right mm-hmm. now it still feels like a taboo. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So if, if people want to find out more about you, about the weed head, about the work that you're doing, what's the best way to get that information? The website. So you can check me out at the weed head dot com. That's a, that eleven dollar ninety nine cent website <laughs> I talked about is still here. We just went through a revamp, and I also have a weekly Zoom cast. It's a video podcast with my sister Ice Dawson, the cannabis socialite, because we're all over the place usually, and this is a way for us to check in. That's every Saturday at eight a.m. PST, eleven a.m. EST, and um, that you can find on the weedhead.com as well. I'm on social media as the cannabis CEO on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the weedhead and company at The Weedhead Co. on all of the platforms. Amazing. I'll make sure that all those links uh, are in the and the handles are in the show notes so people can click through and get those. Uh, Dashita, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great conversation. I think it's really important that we really kind of think about the cannabis, the uh, medical side of the cannabis market and how it's really impacting adult use and vice versa. So thank you. Great insight and uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on the, on the show, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, 
Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.